This is the Schnauzer Logic Radio Company. The Big Idea Podcast presents The Billionaire's Guide to Effective Storytelling and Other Good Advice. A Brief Primer. Part 3 of 3. In this final episode, we'll explore how to workshop your story and then optimize how you tell it to your intended audience. We'll also share some of that advertised other good advice and provide some context for the many references contained within the guide. The entire guide is available as a PDF, ebook, and audiobook at linktree slash tbg2est. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash tbg2est. And you can reach me directly on LinkedIn, Robin Diane Goldstein, or by email, robingoldstein at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Open strong, close strong, let the middle take care of itself. Last time we said, thus endeth the lesson. But actually, not quite endeth, not yet, because throughout the foregoing, I keep mentioning lather, rinse, and repeat. And while I'm a big proponent of spontaneity and shampoo, what often separates the good storytellers from the great and the millionaires from the billionaires is their insistence on workshopping their story with live audiences over and over, paying attention to even the smallest points of friction. I don't mean simple rote practice, which of course is important, because the better you know your material, the smoother your presentation. Rather, I'm referring to the same thing a comic does before taping a one-hour stand-up special. Put together an act and take it on the road for a year, testing it out night after night in front of a live audience, looking for tiny spots where the timing is off or the wording of a joke never fully gets the intended laugh, or where there's an unexpected reaction. The comedian uses this feedback to fine-tune their routine, polish the narrative, and smooth out any point where they see the audience might be snapped out of the spell the comedian is attempting to cast over the evening. This is fundamental to the art of performance. Broadway musicals have out-of-town tryouts. Many bands play new material in small venues before heading off on an arena tour. And if you're hearing this to learn how to better tell a story in service of your business or product, then you're singing for your supper. And if that sounds like a song from the 1938 Broadway musical, The Boys from Syracuse, written by Rogers and Hart, well, that's because it is. The challenge, of course, is that you probably won't get to spend a year workshopping your story while eating cold chicken wings and drinking warm beer. In fact, the very first time you make your pitch could well be bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, two men out baseball. In other words, unlike the performing arts where practice in front of a live audience is understood to be a critical part of the process, in the world of business, other than conducting a tech rehearsal to make sure your slides are in the right order, spending time looking specifically for anything that might break the spell you're attempting to cast over your audience isn't generally considered a worthwhile endeavor. But it is, and you must. Every moment makes a contribution Every little detail plays a part. Having just a vision's no solution. Everything depends on execution. Putting it together, that's what counts. So what's the business equivalent of a tryout in New Haven or an unannounced drop-in at a local dive bar? Pitching to friends. Pitching to family. Pitching to members of your Wednesday night poker group or book club or your Uber driver. Turnabout's fair play. Every person you encounter is an opportunity to tell at least a bit of your story. 
Pay attention to how it lands, how they react, what happens to the muscles in their face and the position of their body and the sound of their breath. In a fan-favorite episode of the TV show House, entitled Leon, Dr. House enlists one of the janitors at the hospital to be a sounding board for a difficult differential diagnosis. This isn't as far-fetched as it might appear. There's a well-known, though unverifiable, quote attributed variously to Albert Einstein, Richard Feynman, and Lord Rutherford of Nelson that says, if you can't explain something to a six-year-old, then you don't really understand it. And ELI 5, Explain Like I'm 5, knocks that down by a whole year. And on more than one occasion, I've suggested to a client to see if they can explain their offering to my previously introduced 93-year-old uncle, the retired rabbi, who doesn't have a background in technology, but who understands a lot about how people live their lives. The point is, the more opportunities you give yourself to get feedback on your story from other living, breathing human beings who speak your language and who are amenable to the tools of rhetoric, regardless of their background or technical expertise, the more you'll begin to find and polish the rough edges. That means paying attention to the feedback you get as you workshop your story and the feedback you get when you tell your story to your actual intended audience. And this last part is important to highlight because often, Budding entrepreneurs will finally get the meeting that they've been waiting for with their ideal audience, and then they'll meet and tell their story and find that it doesn't go as planned, and that means it's over. They've burned that bridge and all hope is lost, and now they have to take that job working for their cousin, the insurance agent. But I'm here to tell you, through the auspices of gray hair and the impact of time and gravity, that insurance can wait, and truth will be found in the cinematic words of fictional U.S. Senator John Blutarski, who once said, What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. And if we ever have the chance to meet in person and share something to eat or drink, I'll be happy to provide a stream of never-ending examples of the foregoing until they put the chairs on the tables and force us to go home. But what I know to be as true as night follows day is that as long as you're on this side of the dirt, the future is unknown, and that means there's always another possibility to tell your story. It may take time, it may require greater effort or resources than the initial opportunity, and that may be more than you're able or willing to expend. But life is filled with second chances, so when you're presenting your story to your target audience, be sure to pay attention to all the points of friction you'd be looking for if you were workshopping your presentation to your neighbor, or your barber, or your cousin the insurance agent. Because your initial pitch may turn out to be a workshop, and the next time you tell your story may turn out to be the charm. And it goes without saying, but just to make sure, that regardless of how well your story is told and received, every retelling requires that you pay attention to how each element resonates with your audience and to determine whether points that might have elicited vigorous displays of agreement in the past are now simply getting polite silence. Because this could mean that you've done something different or something may have changed. I'm not saying you need to unwind your presentation completely or even make any modifications at all. But you do need to understand if you or the audience had an off night, or if something else is afoot. My stream of never-ending second-chance examples could easily be intertwined with an equal number of illustrations of companies telling their original story well past its sell-by date. That's an easy trap to fall into. If you're a first mover in a new field or technology, you may devote a fair portion of your story setting the stage by providing broad, high-level logos and ethos-based arguments. Then you create a pitch deck that tells your story and you successfully raise your first round of funding. 
And as you grow, you go back to the market to raise additional capital and tell the same story on the theory that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But as time passes, audiences become smarter and things that only you knew become common knowledge and eventually cross over into the everybody knows that territory. And retelling the same story can go from educational and persuasive to condescending and off-putting. And your cousin just called and she says she could still use help at the agency. And this time we really are at the end of the lesson. But just one final tip. And I know that this smacks of boomer energy and won't apply to every target audience. But if you're pitching to someone like me, spelling matters and typos matter. And if there's an audio component, please make sure it's clear and well-produced without echo or hiss. And if you're telling your story visually, make sure that your layouts are clean and balanced and that the design is consistent and the borders or elements of your slides aren't shifting around by a pixel or two as you transition between slides. As I noted earlier, I have ADD and my brain is always looking for patterns and anything that breaks those patterns. So if the logo for your company in the upper left-hand corner of your pitch deck is shifting by a pixel up, down, left, and right from slide to slide, like the flipbooks you might have made when you were a kid, I'm going to see it and I'm going to fixate on it and I'm not going to be paying attention to your story since I'm going to be trying to figure out if there's a pattern to the movement. It's not fair, and you shouldn't be penalized for my unique neurochemistry, but if you're trying to persuade me to act in a certain way, then you want to do everything it takes not to break the spell you've worked so hard to create. And that means eliminating any possible points of friction to ensure that my head remains dutifully nodding up and down in agreement from beginning to end. And scene. We're done. For real. You did it. You slog through the nonsense and the silliness and the quotes and the film references and the distractions and the detours, and now you know what I think goes into telling an effective story in service of your business or product or service. And you understand why relying on simplistic arguments or not taking advantage of simultaneous appeals to logic, expertise, and the full range of human emotions means you're not only reducing the potential impact of your story, but you're also creating a vacuum that will allow others possibly far less sympathetic to your mission, to control the narrative. And despite my fanciful description of the trick, you know that telling a story that resonates with the needs of your audience today and creates excitement for the possibilities you'll unlock tomorrow isn't magic. It simply requires you to allow yourself to see the world through someone else's eyes. And you appreciate that crafting and telling your story isn't a one-and-done situation, but a living, dynamic process, and no matter how well or how poorly you've told it in the past, there's always an opportunity to tell it anew. Thank you for helping me help you. That's as close to being Tom Cruise as I'll ever get. And allow me one final quote from the late, great Douglas Adams, who said, I may not have gone where I intended to go, but I think I ended up where I intended to be. I look forward to seeing you at the next meeting of the Billionaires Club. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. The last line on the previous page fulfills the requirement to close strong and doesn't invite further exposition. But I feel like I have more to say. Who knows if I'll ever find the motivation to sit down again and write almost daily for over two months. I don't think I can maintain that level of consumption of Phil's coffee. Plus, I've already started this epilogue, afterward, postscript, coda, addendum, one more thing, a bunch of times, and each effort quickly turns into a nostalgic bender, and nobody needs that. 
So I read over all my previous attempts to look for a common thread or through line, and here's what I came up with. Dream bigger and never let anyone convince you that your dream is impossible. That's it. That's the tweet. Yes, I tried quoting legendary science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke, who said, the only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. And I also quoted the renowned futurist Buckminster Fuller, who advised, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And I devoted a lot of space to reproducing the entire text of the original 1997 Apple Think Different campaign commercial. Here's to the crazy ones. The misfits. The rebels. The troublemakers. The round pegs and the square holes. The ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them. Because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. I even quoted myself on my very last day at Apple as I left a color photocopy of my badge in an official badge holder on my desk. After 22 years, I was damn well taking that worn-out piece of plastic with me, and I wrote in big letters on the team whiteboard in the center of the room, the future should not simply be the past with fewer bugs. As you can see, there's a theme. It's my reaction to what I perceive as timidity outweighing creativity and caution tempering ambition and the general atmosphere of asking permission rather than forgiveness. It's not that I want to encourage recklessness. I started my career as a lawyer, for Christ's sakes. Rather, the rules are tools, and asking why is always a sound strategy. When I took on responsibility for getting FDA approval for the Apple Watch's ECG and AFib functionality, I had zero experience and absolutely no knowledge about medical device regulation. You might see this as a handicap, but I say, au contraire, mon frère. I long ago doubled down on ignorance being a superpower, and I proudly say that I have the confidence of an idiot unencumbered by facts. And while comparing myself to one genius may be seen as outrageous, two is clearly a cry for help. But back in 1970, Dick Cavett, a US TV talk show host, interviewed famed director Orson Welles, and they had the following exchange. Cavett. When you were 26 years old and you made Citizen Kane, they told you you couldn't have the background in focus and you couldn't light scenes the way you did, and you did it anyway. Why? Welles. Because I didn't know any better. Sheer dumbness. Ignorance. There's no authority like it. Greg Toland, the Academy Award-winning cinematographer, came to my office and said... I want to work on your film, Mr. Wells. And I said, why, Mr. Toland? And he said, because you have never made a picture and don't know what cannot be done. And that's what I mean by dream bigger. Start with the wildest ideas your imagination can conceive of, powered by the confidence of your inner idiot, untethered from practical limitations. Then, 
and only then, consider what roadblocks the world has placed in your way and figure out how to remove them or change them or get around them or, and only as a last resort, accommodate them in the most creative way you can. In my conversations with the FDA, I spent a lot of time asking why. Frequently, I arrived at a place where someone would ultimately say, because we're concerned that consumers will misuse the information you're going to provide them and hurt themselves. And I would respond, oh, right, yes, no, we don't want that either. But given that it's 2016 and not 1976, maybe there's a new way, a different way, a better way to educate customers and ensure that they don't misuse information instead of restricting access to helpful products or requiring them to make a visit to a doctor's office to get a prescription, which is expensive and a waste of everyone's time, especially when you're holding in your hand a device that can deliver images and video and audio and written instructions and maybe offer a brief quiz and you can ask questions and take a refresher at any time. Maybe we can meet the spirit of the regulations without replicating the only processes that were available when those regulations were implemented. Hmm? After those meetings, I got a sign from my office that said, Caution, idiot at work. And though I'm cautious about quoting Steve Jobs too much or too often, in 1994, the Silicon Valley Historical Society interviewed him about his thoughts on life and entrepreneurship, and he gave this stunning reply. When you grow up, you tend to get told that the world is the way it is, and your life is just to live your life inside that world. Try not to bash into the walls too much. Try to have a nice family life, have fun, save a little money. But life, that's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact. That is, everything around you that you call life was made up by people who are no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can build your own things that other people use. And the minute you understand that you can poke life, and actually something will, you know, if you push in here, something will pop out the other side that you can change it. You can mold it. That's maybe the most important thing is to shake off this erroneous notion that life is there and you're just going to live in it versus embrace it, change it, improve it, make your mark upon it. I think that's very important. And however you learn it, once you learn it, you want to change life and make it better. Once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. And now I feel like maybe I have said all that I wanted to say. So I'll leave you with the final words from my goodbye note that I shared on my very last day at Apple. Please remember to be courageous. Failure is not nearly as fatal as mediocrity. Please try to be honest and transparent. Bad news rarely gets better when hidden. And please try to be open to a future you didn't plan that may be even more amazing than the one you did. That's worked out pretty well for me. The End References The following references are available in either the PDF or EPUB book as HTML links. 1. Cover image generated by Midjourney using the prompt Mother Goose with Bags of Money. My first attempt was Billionaire Telling Story to Children, but that had a whole other vibe. 2. The provenance of the quote by Mark Twain is in question. 3. There is no evidence of any book having a gift basket listed under Frequently Bought Together. 4. 
I once wrote a patent for a toy top with an electronic display that, when spun counterclockwise, lit up with the words, Paul is dead. Inventors Caps Duflan, rotating toy with electronic display, U.S. patent number 579196A, 1996. This patent is in the Museum of Yo-Yo Histories, list of yo-yo patents. 5. The story in the preface is not embellished in any way, I swear. 6. Bullet dancing is a familiar TV trope, and the referenced scene is from Bugs Bunny Rides Again. 7. Amanda Moresco is a director, screenwriter, story structure expert, and consultant, and she was very generous in helping me think through the nature and structure of fiction versus non-fiction stories. 8. The author of Your Argument as the Enterprise image is unknown, but the earliest reference is found in a March 23, 2013 blog post, Tweak Your Speech, Rhetoric and Star Trek. 9. The Why I Didn't Do My Homework cartoon can be found at Quizlet and is credited to Glenn Hetland Teacher. A similar, and upon reflection better, cartoon entitled Why I Need to Go to a Concert by Brian Hernandez can be seen on the Pinkosoft blog. 10. The bad poem was created by customwriting.org paragraph-to-poem generator using text from an earlier draft of the guide and then edited to make it less bad because I'm not a monster. 11. The duck joke is my go-to laugh groan-inducing joke, and I instructed my editor not to change it. 12. My editor was, and is, Jeremy Herman. 13. Penn and Teller are the longest continuously running headliners in Las Vegas, but currently only perform four nights a week. I have seen them twice, not in the same week. 14. Joseph Campbell writes about the hero's journey in The Hero with a Thousand Faces. 15. The preceding paragraph has 550 words, but 548 is funnier. My editor agreed. 16. Ode on a Grecian Urn was written by John Keats. There is no record of him ever having met ye. 17. The full 1997 WWDC closing keynote fireside chat with Steve Jobs is fascinating, and his comments on customer experience begin at about the 51st minute mark. 18. Putting It Together is a musical number from Act 2 of the 1983 musical Sunday in the Park with George, with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and book by James Lapine. 19. The Complete Book of Pitfalls was originally introduced to me by my friend Kevin Andreessen in high school. At one point in college, I lent my copy to someone who lost it. Kevin's father knew Derek Williamson, the author, and gave me his phone number. I called Mr. Williamson to see if I could purchase a copy, since it was no longer in print. He refused to accept payment, but, upon learning I was working towards a master's degree in city planning, sent me an autograph copy with a hand-drawn illustration featuring rows of houses sunk in the ground at an angle with smoke coming out of each chimney straight up, except for a single house, which was level with the ground, while the smoke rose at an angle. Used copies of this book can still be found for sale online. 20. National Donut Day in 2024 is Friday, June 7th. 21. The phrase... Hey Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat, is a reference to a repeating interstitial gag 
from the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and Friends. 22. The Big Lebowski is a 1998 noir comedy film by Joel and Ethan Cohn, starring Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, Peter Stamare, David Huddleston, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Flea, Leon Russom, and Sam Elliott as The Stranger. 23. Hokum Bunkum in Balderdash is a song written and performed by Lou and Peter Berryman. 24. The original Ethos, Pathos, and Logos Venn diagram is from a source unknown, but the earliest reference found is a May 2013 post on Draw by Jace Vernon. 25. The original teeter-totter illustration source may have originated in an open textbook from BCC campus on the second condition for equilibrium. 26. While there are many parodies of President Bill Clinton saying, I feel your pain, the only known recording of him saying that phrase is in response to being heckled by an AIDS activist. This exchange is available on C-SPAN. 27. Walt Whitman's Multitudes comes from section 51 of his poem Song of Myself. 28. Semper Gumby is a play on the U.S. Marine Corps motto Semper Fidelis and refers to the art cloaky animated clay character Gumby, who is always flexible. 29. My Albany Law School torts professor was the late Robert J. Tymon. 30. There are many articles on the history of iPhone jailbreaking. This is one. This is another. 31. There is a fascinating story on the history of the Dada art movement in the May 2006 issue of Smithsonian Magazine. 32. It's a myth that crows, magpies, and other corvids are attracted to shiny things. 33. Open strong, close strong, let the middle take care of itself is performance advice given to me by Randy Nelson, my friend and mentor at Apple University, and one of the founding members of the Flying Karamazov Brothers. 34. The Boys from Syracuse is a musical comedy based on William Shakespeare's The Comedy of Errors and features several well-known songs, including Falling in Love with Love, This Can't Be Love, and Sing for Your Supper. 35. A complete description of House, Season 4, Episode 1, alone, can be found in the House Wiki. 36. Lord Rutherford of Nelson, also known as Ernest Rutherford, was a New Zealand physicist who was awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1903 for his work on radioactivity. Both Einstein and Feynman were awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics. 37. My uncle, the retired rabbi, was profiled in 2010 in the Terre Haute, Indiana Tribune Star. 38. U.S. Senator John Blutarski, in his college days known as Bluto, was a member and sergeant-at-arms of the Delta Tau Chi fraternity at Faber College, as chronicled in the award-winning documentary Animal House. 39. Douglas Adams, 1952-2001, to was an author, humorist, and screenwriter best known for penning the six books of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy. He once said, A common mistake that people make when trying to design something completely foolproof is to underestimate the ingenuity of complete fools. 
40. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Is a line spoken by Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller in the film Ferris Bueller's Day Off and is shown as an Easter egg scene after the film's final credits. 41. Phil's Coffee is a San Francisco coffee roaster with stores throughout California and Chicago. Their beans are also sold online and can be found at many retail grocers. Most of this primer was written while drinking Silk and Splendor, Tesora, and Filtered Soul. 42. Clark's three laws are 1. When the distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states that something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. 2. The only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. And 3. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. 43. The full interview of Orson Welles by Dick Cavett, featuring the actor Jack Lemmon, contains the reference discussion of Citizen Kane at 22 minutes, 18 seconds. And 44. A copy of my Apple Au revoir letter is worth a read as it contains a few entertaining anecdotes, including a description of the time I almost killed Steve Jobs just before the introduction of the iPod. About the author. Robin Goldstein spent 22 years at Apple Inc., where she served in a wide range of roles across the company, including senior engineering manager, principal counsel, associate instructor at Apple University, and senior manager of health special projects. Before joining Apple, Ms. Goldstein was the first chief patent counsel for Sony Corporation of America, and in 2018-2019, served as chief of staff and acting head of policy and regulatory at Zooks, an autonomous robotaxi company later acquired by Amazon. She is currently an executive coach and product and design consultant to a number of health, technology, and mobility companies, as well as an advisor and in-class mentor to the Stanford Biodesign for Digital Health class. A graduate of MIT with an SB and MCP, Albany Law School with a JD, and the Academy of Radio and Television Broadcasting, Robin is a veteran talk radio host and voiceover actor, and has spent time writing and performing stand-up comedy in California and Alaska. In 2014, Robin took up the ukulele, unironically, and is now rarely more than a few feet away from some kind of fretted instrument. Her proudest moment came while collecting a 25-cent toll from Art Garfunkel during her summer as a toll-taker on the New York State Thruway, Exit 16, Harriman. Comments? Questions? Corrections? Connect with me on LinkedIn, Robin Diane Goldstein, or send me an email, robingoldstein at gmail.com. The Billionaire's Guide to Effective Storytelling and Other Good Advice, a Brief Primer. Copyright 2023 by Robin Diane Goldstein. All rights reserved. No part of this publication or recording may be reproduced, stored, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, photocopying, recording, scanning, or otherwise, without written permission from the author. It is illegal to copy this book or this audiobook, post it to a website, or distribute it in any way without permission. This volume is entirely a work of fiction. The names, individuals, and incidents portrayed in it are the work of the author's fevered imagination. Any resemblance to actual persons, living or dead, events, or localities is entirely coincidental.
The author has no responsibility for the persistence or accuracy of URLs for external websites referenced in this publication. All brand names and product names used in this book and audiobook are trade names, service marks, trademarks, and registered trademarks of their respective owners. None of the companies referenced herein have endorsed this book, and don't expect they will. Fiorello. Hey, wait, wait, what does this say here? This thing here. Driftwood. Oh, that's okay. That's in every contract. That's what they call a sanity clause. Fiorello. Ha ha ha, you can't fool me. There ain't no sanity clause. First dot one edition, 11, 18, 23. Thanks for listening to the Big Idea Podcast's presentation of The Billionaire's Guide to Effective Storytelling and Other Good Advice, A Brief Primer. And if you're not yet tired of hearing me say it, the entire guide is available as a PDF, ebook, and repeat with me, audiobook at linktree slash tbg2est. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash t-b-g-2-e-s-t. And you can always reach me directly on LinkedIn, Robin Diane Goldstein, or by email, robingoldstein at gmail.com. Now go forth and tell amazing stories. This is the Schnauzer Logic Radio Company.